0: Well, hello there, and welcome to the Popcorn Tennis Podcast. We're back after a little bit of a hiatus, and you're probably thinking, well, hang on, what's there to talk about? The US Open was a week ago. Well, we haven't all had a chance to weigh on everything that happened at the US Open. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of us, um, as you know from other shows that we do, uh, may only cover the men's or the women's side. Um, So let's just come together and talk about and everything that's kind of going on, uh, and I'm being joined by my usual co-host, my friend Shuhri, and special guest um, Mario. Mario, great to have you with us. How are you doing? Uh, thank you. It's it's great to be here. I I love to talk to you, uh,
1: to to you both. Uh, so I'm I'm really glad to be here tonight. Yeah,
0: Mario, with the uh, for those of you who obviously won't be able to see this because it's an audio podcast has the most professional setup out of the three of us um uh, and we can see some fantastic books um sort of lining the back of the job are they all about tennis
1: no there's nothing about tennis behind me i i have some a lot of books about tennis but in another place in in my home
0: (laughs) all right okay well let's let's talk us open 2023 Um, A tournament that um, I think a lot of people felt was a little lackluster in places, but still provided us with some uh, big stories. Um, We'll start with the one that perhaps kind of has dominated maybe, will kind of be, well, there's two historic results, actually, in many ways, with Novak Djokovic winning a 24th major singles title and Coco Goff winning her first, maybe the first of many. Um, but I figured since we have two Novak Djokovic fans on this call, um, we should probably talk about um, the Serbian first. Back at world number one, has won three majors this year. Um, and quite frankly, the way he's won those three majors and comes short of winning four makes um, starts us off with a question I'm going to put to Mario first. Is Novak Djokovic unstoppable?
1: Um, yeah, uh, let's say that, you know, uh, Wimbledon, uh, has shown that uh, somehow he is stoppable in some kind of circumstances and, um, but of course it's, it, it seems really, really difficult and not for everyone. Um, I was thinking that, you know, of course, 2021, he's been closer to the calendar slam because, he he already won in wimbledon and uh you know he, he it was one win away in that us open final but overall if you look the year in, put things into perspective basically uh, this year he he's kind of been just one set away since he won even two sets in that in that wimbledon final um so of course it's been another great year um, at major events, and right now he, he seems to be even more. Um, you know, he's focused. Uh, all all his soul is he's focused on the grand slams, and so he he comes at the top of the form uh, for these uh, for these great tournaments. And so it's you know uh, also right now that uh, we we are seeing that. Uh, the decline of his major rivals. Uh, talking about, you know, Federer who is retired, and Rafa who looks uh, in, in trouble right now, possibly retiring at the end of 2024. I um, so it seems like you know this is a favorable, a favorable period for him, given also the fact that he is in an incredible shape uh, physically. And he is still uh, fresh mentally, hungry. Uh, he has a great rival, but you know that, um, which is Carlos Alcaraz, who is still um, he's able to compete really, really close to him. Uh, but we we have also seen that at times, you know, st- still some something can can happen. For example, the semifinal against Medvedev, who is. Uh, the guy outside of the two who who is closer uh, to the two guys who won all the the majors this year. Uh, I'm speaking also in terms of the level, um, especially on the hard courts. Um, but yeah, it seems like even 2024 can be a great year uh, for Novak because there is as for now there is no reason why he should be uh, in great decline uh, next year probably won't win three majors we don't know but uh, he seems like he's going to be of course super super competitive uh, also during the next season
0: I want to pick up on Djokovic's season actually because I think this is a good point to talk about it because you know regardless of how the rest of the year goes uh, for him, we know he's not playing Shanghai. That was announced earlier today, as we record this, um, recording on the 17th of September. Um, we, he's probably going to try and go for another ATP Finals. I think that would be the record if he won it. Um, but he, uh, someone can correct me on that. Um, sure, he's probably got the nut, got it right in his brain. Um, as we speak.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, as far as I know that he does share the record right now with uh, Roger Federer at six titles. So I'm pretty yeah, sure so nobody,
0: I think seven titles is uncharted territory so far. Yeah, so he, yeah, he would be out on his own for that one. Um, I'm not sure a record number of ATP finals is massively on his mind, but um, he wants to end the year and reinforce that he's he's world number one. Uh, but I think, let's face it, Djokovic, as you say, defines his his season by the slams and uh, how he does there and um, yeah, I agree with you, Mario. Like he was one set away. This is the closest he would have come. He's come to a a calendar slam, I think, technically, because he was one set away rather than three sets against Medvedev at the U.S. Open. Do you think if he'd won Wimbledon somehow, he'd got that five set win over Alcaraz, or he'd put Alcaraz away and he, you know, maybe he got that break early in the fifth set and. Moved on with it and uh, won the match, won the title of Wimbledon. Would that have changed much about that US Open run? Would he have been a bit more nervous, kind of like he was in 2021, um, especially if he got to the final and oh no, it's Medvedev again?
1: Um, well, uh, probably even if uh, if my um, yeah you know, things by cal- calculation are are right. He would have been seed number one at the US Open and not seed number two. <laughs> so probably something would have changed in the draw. Um, but um, yeah, of course, would have been um, for sure more difficult in terms of the pressure, even if, you know, uh, having experienced the situation um maybe would have been different and if we if we also assume that the that the draw still looks like uh, the 2023 draw uh, it's also uh, a softer path than it was in 2021 because we also have to remember that in 2021 it was maybe the opposite thing um, 2023 Medvedev uh, added harder to get to the final in 2021 it was the opposite there was that five setter against Zverev which was in unbelievable form in 2021 um, so it was uh, a super super difficult semi final while for example Medvedev got Oger with with uh which was first first grand slam semi final and it was you know a bit easier given the form Zverev was in uh, back then and so um, there are a lot of things to consider uh, of course um, you know if doesn't exist because uh, for sure uh, Novak not winning Wimbledon uh, puts away all the narrative uh, about the calendar Grand Slam which would have been more than alive in case of a Wimbledon title and so uh, it's not really comparable I still think of course um, from a technical point of view, from uh, if you are going to do maths, uh, he's been probably closer in terms of his chances this year. Um, but ha- having not won in uh, in Wimbledon, uh, uh, it's still super super difficult to make this this kind of comparison. Even though I think that. Having already been in that situation would have helped a lot. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's face it, it's still an incredible season. I mean, um, again, I'm going to Shuhiri's tennis brain here, um, but because uh, it's easier, because it's probably quicker than Google. Um, but is, uh, am I correct in thinking that Djokovic is the first man to have won three slams in a year four times? That's 11, 15, 21, and 23. And Actually, I'll come to you. Ask you, Basrahari. Um, how does this season compare to those other three seasons?
2: Firstly, I'm flattered by a comment. Second, is you're right. Um, he the he, he does stand alone in terms of uh, men's tennis players who have won three uh uh slams in a season. I think Roger Roger did it, two thousand four, six and seven. If I'm not mistaken. Um, that's three seasons. Novak uh, previously had done it in three seasons himself, and this was fourth. Uh, and yeah, I think Rafa's done it once. So yeah, uh, this is from you know players who are quite popular, who we grew up watching. Um, but yeah, in any case, uh, yeah, how does this season compare to the rest? I have to say, um, in 2021, since we spoke about uh, his calendar stamp pursuit then, What is definitely different was up until that point at the US Open, I think it did take quite a bit of him. The first two slam triumphs, we know that Wimbledon was sort of softer in terms of the draw that he had and the fact that he was the outright favorite. Um, Nadal didn't participate. Federer was on one leg. We didn't expect much from him. So him making the quarterfinal was in itself a huge deal uh, considering his circumstance at the time. Um, And yeah, of course, Berrettini was probably all things considered the toughest player he could have faced amongst the pool of grass uh, a grass competition because he had won Queens um and he also won Stuttgart in the previous grass season and we know know that he he has a pedigree for the surface. Um but then it, Australian Open and Roland Garros I think each of the triumphs he dropped about five to six sets, especially Australian Open that AB there in the third round and then he dropped a set um Until the semifinals, and that's when yeah he clicked into that zone. He put away Karatsev and Medvedev, which again we got a lot of us talking about how impressive that was because quite a few people thought Medvedev would end up beating Novak, considering how he was a menace for Djokovic. Uh, he always is in terms of the matchup, and also because he was on that twenty match win streak, and Djokovic was not one hundred percent healthy. Djokovic overcame that, and he won. Roland Garros, needless to speak, uh, you know, two sets down against Musetti he wins. Uh, there was that insane battle against Berrettini, which, I mean, in all fairness, turned into an insane battle in the third set, and we all remember that um, famous celebration of his uh, to the empty stands once he won that match. And uh, taking down Nadal, I think nobody uh, envisioned that, considering the beatdown he received on that same court eight months prior in the final. And again, he came back from two sets down against Pass, who was at the time, I mean, outside of Djokovic and Nadal, easily the best player on play. Um, and yeah, so that, all of that took so much out of him. And like, if you looked at him uh, progressing through the US Open draw, he was so shaky. There was only one match that he got through in straight sets. Uh, there was that match against Holger Runa in the first round, which again, got a bit tricky, but then... Uh, Holger was being tested for his fitness and he was cramping. Um, so I guess um, Novak was a little fortunate there for that match to end the way it ended um, it was pretty easy in the end. But yeah, it was not easy. Aside from that, he had Nishikori who was playing pretty well in the third round. He had Brooksby, who when the I think the, it was after that match and Andy Roddick made that uh, pretty popular uh, comment. First he takes your legs, then he takes your soul. Um, so, yeah, I think speaking of taking your legs, I think Brooksby took quite a bit of Novak's legs there. There was that 20-minute uh, game in the second set and Brooksby until then, and Brooksby was sort of dominating the match. But then Novak ran away with it after, thanks to experience and just his greatness uh, taking him through. But, yeah, I mean, he dropped the first set in pretty much every match from the uh, third round onwards. And he, he looked nervous. Like, he needed to drop that set and let let lose of that nervous energy. And then it took a lot for him to just get to the final. And like Mario mentioned, Zverev was in the form of his life. He's the same player who did beat Djokovic at the Olympics who, I mean, we thought Novak is no reason for him to not win the Olympic goal up until being a set in a breakup in the second set. Um, or in the semi-final, I should say, against Zverev and ended up losing winning just one game after. He was on fumes, I would say, by the time he got to that final and even though he had chances to make inroads in the second set, Medvedev was playing one of the matches of his life, slammed the door shut and every, any kind of opportunity Novak could have had. So yeah, that was a little heartbreaking there. So yeah, for uh, all of this is just to say that, um, if you compare 2021 and 2023 in terms of slams, it's, it is quite easy to say that Novak had it much harder in 2021 and 2023, of course, and through no fault of his own, um, he's just that much better than the competition at the moment um and even though results wise you know like the two of you mentioned mathematically speaking he was just a set away from the calendar slam we you know in 2015 he was technically two sets away you know he won the first set against stan in the roland garros final ended up losing and last year of course he you know lost the final in straight sets but even then i still rate his 2021 season above his 2023 season just for these reasons. And yes, of course, there was Carlos Alcaraz uh, who who definitely filled quite a bit of the void uh, left behind by Nadal and Federer and quite a few of the other players who you know, speaking about him. Of course, Medvedev also was uh, up there. I mean, Mario put out this post not long ago where Medvedev deserves to be in a tier of his own. I agree. Um, because it's Djokovic and Alcaraz and then Medvedev. And I don't think, apart from these two players, no one's really better than Medvedev at the moment. So While that is the case, I still do think it was harder for Novak in 2021. And for that particular reason, I rate that season over 2023.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I would, I mean, obviously of the four seasons that he's won three slams, I would say his best was 2015. um, Just because uh, I think he made the final of pretty much every big event that he played. Um, He didn't play Madrid, but he, that um, he played, you know, the other eight fight Masters um, got to the final of all of them um, he got to the final of every slam he got to the, he won the ATP finals um, and really it took Murray and Federer um, who were having good se- who were also having good seasons and an inspired Favrinka at Roland Garros to take him down um, so for me I would say 15 is probably peak no alt Novak's ultimate peak, but you know, we we're, we're kind of comparing um Everest, Kilimanjaro, and um any other mountains you wanna name because my geography is terrible, um, off the top of my head. And yeah, say, so, I want to mention that, that he lost just cool.
2: once before the final in that entire yeah. season. That was in Doha. He lost to Karlovic.
0: I think mm-hmm. it was a setup, was he? Or no, I don't think so, it was a
2: setup.
0: I that match is kind of Post is irrelevant in my brain, yeah.
2: It doesn't make mu- much of a difference, really. Uh, that tournament was weird anyway, but yeah, I mean, I personally think out of the four, I still rate 2011 on top, but it is pretty hard to argue 20 20- against 2015 anyway. Uh, for the reason, yeah, I can't mind boggling numbers. I mean, no player in 2011, Novak won five Masters titles, and no player before that had won five. And then twenty fifteen, Novak wins six. No player has still won six, uh, in the same season. To think, and he skipped one, like you mentioned. So that is insane. And it's not like the competition was weak, really. I mean, everybody was up there, aside from maybe Nadal who was subdued and had one of his worst seasons. Um, other than that, yeah. So it's hard to really argue. But yeah, of course, this is a, this is a uh, discussion for another day. We could definitely have another episode, uh, for this alone. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just wanted to put it out there since you posed the question regarding which of the seasons I rate the best. But amongst these two, the most recent ones, I think I would go with 2021. And if you think about it, every every final, aside from the Wimbledon final, he's pre- pretty much won in straight sets. I mean, sure. First time in, first time
1: yeah. in the open era. Yeah. Uh, same player wins three slam finals in straight sets. Right. In the single oh, wow. season. Uh, and i also would say that this year um you know for the first time he's been able to to win the title in the same season in both the french open and the us open which have historically been uh, his most difficult grand slams when it um, when it comes to you know getting to the title um because talking to most difficult grand slams it's maybe hilarious given his record in all of them but uh, for for the first time he's been able to um, to put in the same season both a french open title and the us open title
2: yeah that's true and it's also the first time he didn't win wimbledon and us open in the same season i mean he didn't win us no, no no let me rephrase it he didn't the first season he won the us open without winning wimbledon if that makes sense
0: yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, a lot of firsts for Davak like Djokovic. Um, talking about seasons, and Maria mentioned 2024 earlier. 2024 um, is going to be an interesting year for Djokovic because it's an Olympic year. And we know from the past that um, the Olympics have been, has been a priority for him for a long time and has been subject to some of his most painful defeats. We're talking about losing to Murray in that 2012 semi-final. We're talking about losing to Del Potra in round one of 2016, which I think he was in tears after that one. Um, his in his his weird collapse against Zverev in the 21 semi-finals in Tokyo. He's going to roll on... It's going to be at Roland Garros on clay, where... We're not sure how Nadal's going to be. If Nadal was fit and healthy, he would be the overwhelming favourite for the title. But I, there's considerable reasons to, to to think that Nadal is not going to be fully firing in all cylinders for that tournament. So suddenly that makes Djokovic the overwhelming favourite because I would back Djokovic on Roland Garros-Clay over every player, and that includes Carlos Alcaraz. Is it possible that Djokovic maybe takes his foot off the gas a little bit for Roland Garros and Wimbledon not necessarily loads because he's still going to want to try and win it but he's he's going to want to put everything into being fully prepared for that elusive olympic singles gold
1: it can it can be i i i don't really you know i don't really believe of course that he's going to underestimate uh, a grand slam tournament even given the fact that he always says that, uh, of course, as time um, progresses, he, he feels the occasion more, he feels the importance of being there. Um, but it can be also because we we know that for him it's super important, both for a personal uh, success, getting that Olympic gold, but also for his country, which we know that for him is super, super important. Um and so I think that yeah, probably it will be the number one goal uh, for um for the 2024 season. I don't know, probably number one is uh, is too big, but uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if in his mind it's going to be the first goal of the season, first in terms of importance. Um, goal of the season to to finally reach uh, that uh, Olympic gold uh, for all what it means um, to him um, and I I mean not only for his for his record book uh, also because um, we know how it's been heartbreaking for him over the years to uh, even if it's just four attempts. Because the Olympics are not held every year, uh, but uh, we know how how much it it means for him to uh, to be in in the Gota of, of Serbian sport. He already is, but you know, also from that point, of, from an Olympic point of view, getting at uh, that Olympic final, which he he hasn't been able to reach an Olympic final yet, and also getting that. Uh, Gold medal, I think that it's one of probably the last dream you can you can have. Uh, yeah, it's the only
2: big title that's not in his cabinet. He's won everything else multiple times, um, so there is that. And also, uh, it would be interesting to see how he paces himself for the Olympics. He doesn't want to. I, you know, Medvedev mentioned this that each time Novak loses, he's not the same person anymore. Uh, like how he learned from that U.S. Open defeat to Medvedev two years ago. And we see him quite a different player in the matchup. I mean, he still is pushed by Medvedev. It's not like more often than not he is, but he, he's not losing those matches that we expect him to maybe lose, like the ATP finals last year, for example. Um, on uh, uh, on that similar vein, he's probably going to learn from 2021, where, right? okay, he ended up being gassed and just out of nowhere he collapsed. Uh in that semi-final against Zverev, nobody expected it. He was cr- cruise control. Uh, and of course, Zverev, as he mentioned, he was just closing his eyes and slapping balls, and then things worked. Uh, but in any case, um I I I like what Nick said specifically about him Novak, being a favorite even over Alcaraz on Roland Garros Clay. I think so too, because as things stand. I, if you were to ask me which surface is Alcaraz is not just most preferred but best one, I would say it's hard courts. I, I, I wouldn't say it's clay necessarily. Um, just because it's most. I mean, if you look at big success wise, the, you have three titles on hard courts, uh, one of them being a Grand Slam, and there was a Cincinnati final which he was a point away from winning. That could have been four. While on clay, yes, he has two Madrid titles and two Barcelona titles. He has that title in Rio. He has that title in, where was that? Buenos Aires. But there is a sort of pa- a recurring pattern here where he's performing on lower bouncing clay. And we saw what happened in Rome. He was taken completely by surprise and ousted really early. I think, was it the third round? Yeah. Was it the second round or third round? The third round. Third round. Yeah. He won a match and lost in the third round. That, that's right. Um, Yeah, he just didn't know how to deal with it. So at the moment, at least, uh, that very much could change. I mean, if, if the guy can adapt to grass and win Queens and Wimbledon when no one expected him to, why wouldn't he do this, right? There's no reason to believe that he won't. But as things stand, I Novak is still the superior player on higher bouncing clay. Um, So yes, I would still put him as the favorite. Best of three, maybe. I, I think it tips a bit in Novak's favor when it's best of three. Um, like, like we saw, I mean, Alcaraz, when the match went five sets, he got the better of Novak. Uh, so that's quite the outlier here that we're talking about in terms of, um, you know, Novak sort of clutchness and best of five, uh, I want to say, um, yeah, the, 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 how he's able to just come through more often than not in such situation when the match goes to a fifth set, and he's never lost. I mean, only apart from two times, he never lost a Grand Slam final in five sets, and Alcaraz is able to do it. So, yeah, I would still keep a watch on Alcaraz, but uh, yeah, I I do think he's the overwhelming favorite. But we have seen this overwhelming favorite story before, not very long ago. So I wanna, I'm just interested to see how he paces himself because. You you would think that the motivation for slams should siphon off a bit because he has the record comfortably, the two. Um maybe I mean it is okay to get a bit complacent because Nadal needs to win three to get the record uh back, which looks highly unlikely at this point. Um so yeah. That's all I have to say in terms of Novak getting that gold medal, and if he does, I mean, he achieves tennis immortality. Who's there to argue anything? I mean, not that it's—I mean, not that it isn't damning to do so now already, but you know, it, with the Olympic gold, it's just crazy.
1: yeah. One one thing I like to consider is that usually he um, and he still he still does it uh he he plays a few tournaments outside of the slams but he plays a lot on clay um because he usually say that on clay he needs uh, time tournaments and matches uh to feel the right way um at the olympics uh, it would be difficult to to play uh you know given the fact that uh, there will be um, the stretch on the grass um before the olympics on clay it, it would be interesting to um, to watch you know how he's going to uh, to figure out things um from from the very beginning of course we know that shouldn't be a, a real issue if he's fully motivated but um you know can be uh, a thing to consider probably
0: I mean, I think this is unthinkable because it's Djokovic and he wants to win everything, but part of you would almost consider skip grass, do a couple <laughs> of clay challenges and uh, play Hamburg as a warm-up and then head to uh, Roland Garros. But, you know, skipping Wimbledon, if you're Novak Djokovic, might not be the best idea. Um, it's it, it's probably going to be cross your mind and then get dismissed quite, quite quickly, let's be honest. Um, I think we've talked a lot about... Uh, Djokovic uh, today um i but let's face it like it, the the story and his legacy has been bigger than the actual US Open title run itself so um maybe um we should move the conversation on and maybe talk about um someone else uh let's say uh the maybe the other history maker in the draw um which was Coco Goff.
1: Goff came came into the tournament as uh, the mo- the most informed player of the moment. Uh, she she had won in Washington her first five hundred title, and then Cincinnati uh, her first WTA one thousand event. Um, you know she she hasn't had it easy uh because a lot of times she she had to solve some some kind of troubles during the matches i'm thinking of course the first round the first round against Laura sigmund uh it was um, it's been pretty pretty difficult because um she was feeling a little bit nervy uh, and also sigmund tennis it's not that easy to to deal with when you you're entering a grand slam event especially at tom as one of the main favorites and it's been a really difficult match but also uh, you know it uh, became easier till the end but also against wozniaki uh, there have been some some troubles mm, and she's been amazing in overcome all these um, all these challenges uh, on her path she she has shown an incredible mental strength um, and even a great ability to, to deal with issues during the match and also with the thought of being, um, l- let's be honest, one of the top three, four favourites for the events. And so with that, um, especially after um, Ostapenko beat uh, Igas Vyontek, um she she was the favorite to go to get to that final and uh, she's been really really good in uh, in in dealing with this kind of pressure to get there um and then the final uh, probably marked more by sabalenka's tennis because first set uh goff had some some great issues and Sabalenka was not playing unbelievably good but still good enough to um to overpower her and to uh, to do um, what she needed to do to um to take the lead in the match winning 6-2 the first set two break points in the first game and Goff was in a big big trouble and then a lot of mistake uh, mistakes that uh, helped Goff um to you know to be back into the match but again um, her defensive abilities her um the mental strength to still be there ready to take the chance and to uh, turn things around uh, to make sabalenka going for more and for more even if the uh, she was clearly in a bad day and so um, but uh, Savalenka felt that kind of anxiety, and golf has been incredibly good in make her opponent feel that way. And, uh, you know, she's really ta- she's she's really taken a a step further in terms of um, shot quality, and also um, uh, the decision uh, during the match on the court. Uh, we there has been a lot of talk about how um, her new coaching team, especially with Brad Gilbert, has uh, has helped her a lot in, in this. Um, well, it's been great, especially if you think that uh, at Wimbledon, losing the first round against Sofia Kenin, which, of course, Kenin is a great player. But in that moment... Uh, The season was not going that well for her. And so that moment was um, kind of a low, uh, also psychologically. And she has also spoken about that. And she really turned that bad moment into a chance to work, to improve, and to be back on the court hungrier and, uh, and, you know, in, in an amazing shape to to be able to overcome a lot of challenges and to uh, to get to that title we shouldn't also forget it's now the US open but we shouldn't also forget that really tight win over sviontek a lot of things happened which um we should give a lot of credit to to her for for what she did and i i really think that um, first one and not last one
0: i mean all expectation would suggest it's not the last one I mean Goff has been it it feels weird that a 19 year old it's like finally she's won a slam because she's been around for so long because she was this good she was good enough at 15 to make the last 16 of a grand slam twice Um, and uh, beating some big big players at that age like Ostapenko and Osaka Um, she's always had that fight in her that Uh, Resolve And um, Owen wrote about that brilliantly. So if you haven't read that article yet, highly recommend uh, you go do so. Um, But yeah, he, uh, Goff, there was something different about Goff this time in that, you know, I don't necessarily think of her as a She If she thinks she's got a chance to win, she will fight. And I think she genuinely believed that she was going to win every match. And the way she was kind of holding herself through that tournament, it wasn't just, yes, that forehand had a lot more confidence behind it. Um, but she was holding herself uh, like a champion. Like she was going out there and going, I I am the top, but she, believing she's a top player, believing that she's going to win the match no matter what the situation. Um, I mean, her tactical decision in that final was brilliant because she eventually worked out how to deal with what Sapolenka was throwing her, which is just What's my strength? My defense. That is the only thing that's going to keep me in this, and that's what frustrated Sabalenka the most, clearly, because Sabalenka was going for all these shots and they weren't turning into winners. And I think, yeah, this is—I I, look, we've we've been here before. Where a lot of people were like, "Oh yeah, first of many," and it's not turned out like that. We know Goff is a is, It feels like it was destiny. This was going to happen. Um. So we, sh- but we should shouldn't assume, but. Yeah, you're right. With that run that she had um, and also the fact that the US Open tends to be where these stars break out and finally win that slam, it did see, it looked like the stars were aligned, despite Chirante and Sabalenka looking pretty strong. Um, I guess Goff was definitely third or fourth favourite. Rebecca was in the mix as well. Uh, Yeah, the way she dealt with it is brilliant. And now it's going to be interesting to see how she does outside of the US because obviously she's now unbeaten in the country, country. Um, but yeah, you know, we've got to see. You know, can she carry this form on into Asia? She's not playing Guadalajara. Um, not a lot of top players are. But uh, the, uh, um, I think the Asian swing is going to be a real test of. Okay, we just won this. Um, what's next? Especially since these courts are going to be potentially a little bit faster. I'm I'm interested to see sort of um, where this where this goes with golf. I I would love to see. Um, her being at the very top of the game um, for, the for well, it could be 20 years. Um, but certainly in the immediate future, her forming, uh, being part of an elite group at the top with Sviantek, Sabalenka, Rabakina, um, Osaka, if she can get her mojo back when she comes back after maternity leave. Um, and anyone else on the women's tour who could poke their head in, because we know the women's tour is full of very strong players, who can pull off the upset and pull off the run. Uh, that's what I'm excited about. And I think it looks like you are as well.
1: No, yeah, probably I'm more thinking, you're thinking about the Asian swing. I Yeah, I'm looking forward to watch her playing there, of course. Uh, even if probably I think that the next season is more of a, of a test, in my opinion, because... Uh if she doesn't do really well in Asia, uh you know it's it can be kinda of okay given the fact that all the run that she, she's had in these past few weeks and winning the maiden Grand Slam title. Um so I you know, I still would give her a bit of of time, but um, yeah, of course, I I'm interested in in watching her. I I, as you say, I don't like to say first of many. I just say first, but not the last one. I don't know, but it seems like she's going to have other opportunities because she she has shown that she she has also the the mental abilities to to stay at the top. Um, probably I'm going to be wrong, but uh, as uh, as for now, I feel like that.
0: Well, the, she's demonstrated those mental abilities. I think she demonstrated them when we first really saw her at Wimbledon in 19, when she saved match points and won against Polona Huttog, a much more experienced player. Um, and, uh, you know, that fight's never gone away. You know, she beat um, Zhang at uh, U.S. Open last year in a really tough match um, to get to the quarterfinals. Uh, she's she's and obviously yeah she's toughed it out against Svantec, Um, which I would say you know if Sviantek is going to make you tougher out that's um, that's a really big win. So I think I've I, I think Goff has had some mental lapses in matches in the past. I don't think they're going to be as free that, that's going to happen much anymore to be honest. I think she now knows what she's... She knows she can do it and given that there is room for improvement and development in her game, as there is with a lot of players at that age, there's no reason why this isn't going to become a regular thing, provided she stayed injury-free, which is the key thing. I think we can be optimistic about that because she hasn't had a significant injury yet, but all tennis players have them.
1: Yeah, I I was also thinking that probably uh, in the recent past, it was more uh, some... I believe technical, tactical issues rather than mental, uh, mental struggles. For example, um, as I see, you know, Sabalenka, uh, she's she she has literally, let's say, no weaknesses in terms of uh, you know the the baseline technique and this kind of stuff. Um, her shots are both pretty reliable. Uh, but at times she can have some uh, some mental down uh, at the moment, even if she has improved a lot, uh, because this year has shown that even if in some matches this hasn't really gone um, the way she, she hoped, but otherwise we would have been here talking about a calendar slam <laughs> probably. Um, but, uh, as for golf, I thought that it was more something that mm, you can adjust. You can work on with some, uh, for example, as she did right now during, during the summer, but mentally I, I saw her being strong enough, uh, to, um, you know, to be able to manage well. Uh, the rise to, to the top. Even the fact that she hasn't had a lot of, um, you know, she was only 15, 16, 17, 18. She hasn't rushed. She she took her time. Uh, and then she came strong to the top. And I think that she can be ready to to stay there.
0: Is the fact that Goff has now finally come good at 19 going to put maybe a little bit more pressure on other 15, 16 year olds that were starting to see producing big runs and draws. I'm thinking particularly of Mira Andreeva, um, who is already almost top 50 at 16. Um, and I'm thinking of Brenda Forvitova, who hasn't broken out on the WTA tour yet, but is tearing it up on the ITFs. Mm-hmm. Um, is this going to maybe, uh, I, I'm trying to, you know, take a bit of a cautionary approach. We're talking about the future a little bit. Um, should we still be cautious about um, their development um, despite the fact that Goth has shown that it is possible to build on immediate success at such a young age?
1: Yeah. The development for me is super important because, um, you know, probably in other times it was a little bit different because also career were shorter right now. If you want to, um, to think about the future, about having a sustainable and successful career till 34 35 36 um you know it's it's important to to not rush in my opinion we we've seen that you know a guy that has won his second slam at 23 uh, right now has 24 and it's uh, it's because uh, everyone has uh, his his own time um, to to develop and to to take that that final step, and I think that right now, um, you know, to to program year after year, not rush, work on the things uh, to then to then be able to su- sustain your success. Um, it's really really important because there's you know there's no rush to to be made. In my opinion, and Goff has shown that really, really well.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I think there's every reason to suggest that her success is sustainable um, just because of the attitude to the game. Um, Shrihari, um, I know you've been very quiet in this conversation, but um, I, I know that sort of this is, I don't think you've seen Goff play live or anything like that. You're not necessarily as close to women's tennis as you are to the ATP side, but um did you catch any of Goff's run? Do you have any thoughts on Goff at the minute? Oh yeah, I couldn't catch many of her matches just because of the time difference. I mean she
2: was most of the time I think first in the evening session of Ash just impossible to catch her matches. But anyway, um I did see her progressing through the draw and yeah. you know it's safe to say that she's at a pretty young age, not only is she winning, but she's able to win ugly, if that makes sense. And that's something even someone like Sabalenka you wouldn't really see. I mean, I think amongst the top players, um, even Sabalenka, uh, compared to, say, Shuyantek and now Coco Gauff, she hasn't mastered the art of winning when you're not playing at your optimal best. And I, from what I've seen so far, uh, from Sabalenka. I, I can't think of a match where she's played below her best and she, against a top uh, against top opposition and has ended up winning. Um, but yeah, maybe, okay, the, uh, the match against Madison Keys, uh, that's probably a good example. But other than that, I mean, Coco Goff, I think, well, there were the few matches, couple of matches where she came back from a set down or dropped the set before the uh, final and yeah, we in the final again came back from a set a set and facing break points early in the second set uh, and ended up winning. Um, yeah, so she did play like she, uh, you know, she sort of was the favorite. Uh, she was definitely up there as one of the favorites considering she won Washington and Cincinnati. Um, but yeah, I think she showed some pretty champion quality uh, coming through and winning. And you know, I look, I'm looking forward to see. Uh, uh, to seeing what's next for her. And like you mentioned, she was like, barely 15 when she made two fourth round runs. One, one of them was, I think, uh, yeah, the first one was Wimbledon 2019. There was that crazy match in the uh, third round where she, you know, saved match points. Was in the second set? There was that long rally, I remember. Yep. Uh, and then ended up winning, lost to Halep in the fourth round. Yep. Uh, and then she beat, I know she lost to Osaka in the third round of the US Open. Um and then got revenge against Osaka at the uh, Australian Open in the third round the following Slam, um uh, yeah. Uh, and for a while she didn't progress past the fourth round until what was it? RG where she made the final last year, but it was a blowout. Um, so clearly she has uh, come a long way, even though she's still barely nineteen. Um, so yeah, and. It is interesting to see, like you know, we have many more youngsters. A few a couple of more, the frugal tours, um, the you know, you have Andreva. I I can't think of. I think uh, I don't know if Towson is still a teenager. Uh,
0: Towson's um, early twenties now. Um, okay, so she's in the okay. twenties. right.
2: Um. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see um if there's more pressure on these players' shoulders, like you mentioned.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. a bit weird to think that. Uh, Alcaraz is one year older than Coco Golf. Um, you know, it's it's a bit weird because Goff was uh, we we spoken about that he, he, she was there t- since 2019, also winning a title in 2019 uh, at 15. So it's it's just a little bit weird sometimes when I when I think about that that they are both super, super young, but Koff is one year younger. Um, So, yeah, sometimes we we wanted too much too early, probably.
0: Yeah, oh, for sure. And every tennis fan is guilty of that and has been for years. I think, obviously, we've been spoiled by a lot of, particularly on the women's side, like women's players coming through from a very, very young age, very early on. Um, And, yeah, I think that's... um, I think it's an interesting point. You know, yeah, Goff is a year younger than Alcaraz, but it feels like she's been around for ages. Alcaraz only seems like, feels like he's been around for a couple of years. And yes, Alcaraz is a year older than a teenager and he's won two Grand Slams. So it's incredible for both, uh, really. Um, just to round off, because we've mentioned her a lot. It so doesn't mention off on the room in before we kind of maybe do a bit of any other business. Um, Sabalenka um, got to the final, one set short of a second t- major title of the year. Still a very, very good season. Um, I would say um, she's probably the biggest story of the season on the WTA side in terms of like it. 2023 has been all about Arena Sabalenka and how she is. And a lot of the tournament has been defined by her performances. Um, would you say that's fair to say?
1: Well, she's been by far the best player considering the slams. Uh, and in fact, the ranking right now is showing that because first woman able to reach all the four semifinals since 2016. Um, she, she's she been just one match away from winning both the hardcourt majors, which only Kerber has did so in the last 25 years. Um, so her season also winning uh, WTA 1000 title beating Zwiątek uh, in the final um so uh, the final in Indian wells uh, yeah it's been a great season i mean um that's the reason also why she's both number one in the race and in the ranking um there's the feeling that could have been even better because she was a set away from um a set and a break up against Jaber at Wimbledon uh, to then face Bondrusova in the final so who knows would have would have happened. Mm, no, she she was close to to a potential Wimbledon. She was super close to a Wimbledon final and not so far uh, from the title because when you when you then get to the final uh, he, the opportunity is up there. Um she was uh, at match point, I think, or uh, at the French Open. Yes, she uh, was. 5-2 um, up, 40-30 against Bukova. And a set and two break points against Goff in the final of the US Open. So uh, she she had the chances to make this year an unbelievable thing. Because if you think that we are talking about, also thinking about her previous years in the career, um and we are right now talking about these results and having some regrets it's something incredible um but the regrets are real she could have she could have been even more successful um because her tennis is working unbelievably well um this year and some mental uh, a bit of a mental struggle and also sometimes probably let's say a little bit unsustainable um, way of playing unsustainable um, speaking about very big matches because we have talked about the difference between Golf and Sabalenka and probably Goff's way of playing it's a little bit bit more sustainable when you're not in a good day Um, but it's hard for me to to come you know to move a lot of uh, to be disappointed in her results, it's still a lot to to ask for me. I uh, I think that also because it's been by far her best her best season so far. So um, uh, we should also, in my opinion, wa- watch at all um, all her progress. And mm. it's been a year um, of great progresses.
0: I mean, let's face it. We're talking about the difference between a a great season and an all-time great season. Right, that's a fine difference. It's still uh, very impressive. Um it, you know, it's it's been very impressive as you say. Like, you know, one major final, one 1000 title, um semi-finals in all four majors. Uh it's it, you can't it, it's hard to criticize. The the margins in tennis are super fine and I I agree with what you're saying about you know, the sustainability of her tennis. Um, we saw that in the final against Goff. right? Goff produced something that was much more sustainable than Sabalenka's blasting the ball constantly and trying to go for winners. Um, it produced electric, absolutely electric tennis in that Australian Open final against Rabakina. Um, and, you know, she was, and actually I would say really, really good tennis against Shabur at that Wimbledon semifinal. Uh, I would also say maybe that US Open Sabalenka's draw was slightly easier than Goff's until she got to Keys. Um, kasatkina could have been a threat if kasatkina was having a good day, um, but Arena was just having a magnificent day in that fourth round. Um, but I think that that's another factor we've got to to bring into it. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think we should criticize Sabalenka really. And um, like, it's not really founded unless you have, uh, unless you were going for calendar grand slams, the only thing worth doing. And even then, like, you know, she may want to, well, Mokov, she probably wouldn't have beaten Svantec in that final. Um, I think although she beat her in Madrid, the conditions in Roland Garros suit Svantec much more. And she showed that way she dealt with that Mukava final in the end, even though she was up against it at one point. And speaking of Svantec, I mean, we're saying that Sabalenka's number one. There is a possibility that Svante could wrestle it back with her with a very good end of season. I think Asian swing might be tricky for her because the court speed probably won't suit her. But we've said that before about fast courts and Iga still managed to find a way to win. But I'm kind of I I'm excited about a potential number one showdown between those two players. If Sabalenka tails off for any reason or Svante picks something back up, neither of which seems particularly out of crazy to imagine um and even then wta finals there's a you know a big points on the table there for both i i, I don't know i maybe it's a bit too much to ask for maybe sabalenka will kind of seal number one before the wta finals but i'm excited for that possibility
1: uh why not i mean uh those courts should suit sabalenka really well because she was winning 1000 titles in china even before really breaking through as a super top player. I mean, that was her breakthrough. But, um, you know, she she still wasn't a top five, top three, top two player. uh, And she still was uh, playing super well in those conditions. So um, probably she can be slightly favorite, um, considering the two players. Uh, but i think that jontac can be super super motivated to to try to to end the year as the world number 1 because it's still possible um it's it's difficult to predict but uh, it would be of course it would be great to watch because matches were um, for example um it happened in 2016 on the men's side um the ATP final, in this case the WTA final, for example, with the number one on the line. It's, it's a great storyline. And that's for sure. So I don't think that um I think that every fan would be okay with with this idea. I mean it's it's not bad at all. But I'm also sure that uh there are um, also other other girls that would like to, to say they um yeah. yeah, I would say that probably between the two, I would... Mm, even if we don't really know about Zviantek, because um, Zviantek as a top player hasn't really played in China, because 2019 she still wasn't um, at the top of the game, and then we haven't been in China anymore. Uh So... Yeah, uh,
0: I think the gap at the top is probably, it's probably a little bit optimistic, I think the the gap at the top is quite significant in terms of the points, Um, it would be, it would require Sviantec to have a very good time. Yeah, it's, it's
1: one, 100 points, I'm uh, probably I'm wrong. Oh, is
0: it race, race or ranking? Uh,
1: no, ranking is, uh, I'm talking about the race, Uh
0: yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, the WTA race, which is where it's at, let's face it. Um,
1: because right it now... now...
0: Yeah, I was thinking about the world rankings. You're right. Yeah, it's it's currently 1,305 um, uh, points gap in the race. Yeah, that's a sizable
2: gap, I think. Yeah it's um, yeah yeah Iga had the probably chance to gain some ground in Guadalajara she withdrew um
0: yeah but they, they, so a lot of top players withdrew like Sabalenka yeah. did as well so um yeah she probably could have done i think Guadalajara would have suited her but you know recovery was was critical the placement of Guadalajara in the calendar was uh, ridiculous yeah, so yeah, maybe with the points gap and the fact sabalenka is very comfortable in china I think advantage very much with Sabalenka, but I like that possibility. And yeah. um, why? Why not? Like let's that, just dream for a couple of weeks until. Um, Sabalenka <laughs> yeah, I mean, goes if it awesome. does boil down
2: to. I mean, uh, we we don't really matter much for Sabalenka's um, you know final run last year because those points are not in the race anyway. So excluding that, it's a thirteen hundred point difference. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, China, Chinese swing is there, an the Asian swing. And then, of course, we have the WTA Finals, and the battle could very much spill over uh, to the WTA Finals. You just never know. Um, and it's in Svontek sort of in an interesting spot at the moment, also. Um, I mean, yeah, she her big success this season has come at R G. She won won the title. Outside of that, was it Rome? She lost to Rubakina. Madrid, she lost to Sabalenka. Yeah, she's been. Um, Losing quite a bit. I sort of drew a comparison between Chiantek's 2023 and Djokovic's 2012, if you will. Um, You know, it's so hard to replicate the seasons that they had. Novak's 2011 and Iga's 2022 quite alike in terms of that winning streak. 41 matches was 37, winning a bunch of big titles. And of course, Iga winning multiple slams also. Uh, But yeah, even then, I mean, Novak was also in a position where, I mean, Federer was also in a similar position, if I'm not mistaken. And what happened was, yeah, Novak won Shanghai and Federer lost in the semis. And he Federer withdrew from Paris, which sort of sealed the race. Or And, and Novak obviously won Beijing and Federer withdrew from Paris where so he was a defending champion It sealed it for Novak in 2012. Uh, could be interesting i'm not Drew, i'm not completely counting Iga out but historically speaking yeah advantage sabaleko
1: yeah yeah let's say that if we if we have to compare uh, to make your comparison probably sjonthek needs uh, a little bit more success at 1000 event uh, this year but she has already two to uh, it's two or just one um no it's um
0: wait what are you trying to count?
1: Uh One thousand events on the female she hasn't side. Won one won one thousand
0: in twenty twenty three yet.
1: There's Guadalajara, and they both not. Oh play. yeah,
0: two left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... So she's not playing Guadalajara. So it's it's going to come down to Be- is it Beijing or Wuhan they're playing in?
1: Yeah, Uh she still had the chance to mm-hmm. to have this uh, this kind of success. I mean, but you know when you when you win a grand slam i i'm never saying that it's it's a disappointing season so uh, no. absolutely not uh, far from me saying that um so i think that she she's kind of um, let's say consolidated her her place at the top uh, of tennis also because uh, of all the consistency she she had at big events getting to the semis and also playing the finals. Um, things hasn't, you know, been as wonderful as in 2022, but still, uh, you know, it was very, very, very difficult to... Um, you know, let's say that it hasn't been as 2017 has been for Kerber after that 2016. Mm-hmm. It's been way different. So, yeah. Uh, in, you know,
0: uh, it's still uh, yeah. She still did also. win
2: a Grand Slam, um,
0: so and for probably be favourite outrun on Garros for quite a while to come. Um, and I just wanted to just quickly touch on your last one point you made, earlier, Mario, about you know the other challenge for ego catching up, um, and uh, is the the WTA Finals in Cancun because that's going to be a tough. Fight for both Sabalenka and Svantech because Rebecca is going to be there. And if Rebecca's firing all cylinders, she can beat both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, of she's shown it this year. She beat Svantech and Sabalenka to win Indian Wells. She's beaten them both multiple times or run them close. Um, and Goff is in the mix as well. I mean, I, it's not the USA, but it's North America. She's going to be um, confident. So there's those two players are going to want to spoil the party uh, a little bit there. And say, no, no, it's not no, it's not just about you two. It's not all about you two. Um yeah, yeah. and that's for sure. And that's what we're going to look forward to. Um, yeah, also because uh,
1: we we are going to have some some chat girls uh, ready to to put some trouble <laughs> here and there to the to the favorites because we are going to to have um, von Rusova Mukova um no. and especially i I'm, I'm very big on mukova uh, she's lost some some big matches but i think that she she has the qualities to be uh, a bad threat um because because her tennis is not easy to deal with and if you're not having a good day uh, then it becomes you know so many doubts in your head
0: yeah and Bukova, this like since Roland Garros actually the whole season but particularly since Roland Garros has shown she's a top 10 player because she final Roland Garros final at Cincinnati semi-finals in New York um that's a that's sort of top 5 4 level um and obviously she's beaten Sabalenka twice she ran through damn close um in that Roland Garros final which is a tough ask um and uh, I think You know, she's going to be, she stays injury-free. She's going to stay in the top 10 for a couple of years, um, provided she stays fit and healthy. Um, Yeah, this US Open run in the semifinals kind of solidified in my mind. Oh, Mukova's a contender. The way she made her way through that draw was pretty comfortable, and I was very impressed for the most part. If you look at her slam
2: resume, it's pretty impressive. Semis in Australia, uh, final in RG, quarterfinal, I think, in Wimbledon, and semifinal at the US Open. Quite unique and yeah, definitely goes to show that when healthy, uh, she is up there um, as not only, yeah, as quite the troublemaker. Has she won a big title yet? Maybe not, but... No, she's only won at 250. Right, okay. Uh, But still, uh, you know, she's not far away from winning one of these titles. I mean, sure as hell not as far, wasn't far away at RG two games away, serving two holes away, I should say. She was in the decider. And that must have been a fun experience for Nick, who I think was at uh, on Talking Tennis at the time.
0: And... I was on it. You can watch my reaction live right. to that match. I mean, Ego was Still cruising
2: through that match, and then all of a sudden we had, to add, um, <laughs> which is funny. But in any case, was the second set seven five or seven six? What was it? I, I... seven five.
0: Yeah. yeah, probably. Yeah, it wasn't probably yeah. seven five. Yeah, that, that was that was really. And this... It's this kind of chat that actually, yeah, you know, I have, you know, Bukova is also a contender for the WTA finals. I think um, she has a good week. Yeah, she could, uh, she could throw a cat amongst the pigeons and go, oh, hi guys, <laughs> here's my big title. Um, how about that? I'm, I'm interested to see about that. Um, okay, uh, I think obviously we've been going on for a bit, but I did want to. We've looked at the kind of the big stories. Um, but I want to hear from sort of both of you and I'll throw mine in the mix of any other stories from the US Open that we need to make sure we mention before we consider that tournament wrapped up.
2: Uh, maybe Alcaraz Medvedev because that was quite a surprise. Uh, I think we're running a little short in time for that anyway. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I just don't think we, we covered the most significant uh, events anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I should just quickly mention the Alcaraz medvedev match and the result was just a reminder that Medvedev was up there with these guys. So, right. Yeah, I think other
0: than that, um, pretty much spoke about everything significant. Uh, I mean, sure. Here we've got probably about 5-10 um, minutes. Hopefully the audience also have 5-10 minutes. Like, let's talk about that Alcaraz medvedev uh, match. I know we didn't really talk about it before, but obviously... That match had a had a big impact, not just on the tournament, but maybe on sort of both players' seasons, really.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, going into the match it was a sort of foregone conclusion as far as I, most people were concerned. Uh, and yeah, even uh, IBM Power Index sort of picked alcras 81% over Medvedev, 19%. It was quite telling at the time. But, um, you know, commentator Rob Koenig from I think since the second round when Medvedev played Chris O'Connor, he was pretty optimistic in terms of how Al- Medvedev would match up against Alcaraz at this at that particular tournament on that particular court, Arthur Stadium, considering Medvedev's track record since 2019. Um, yeah, he's only failed as things stand. He's may failed to make the semi final or better only once during the last five editions. Uh, he's made three finals, won once, lost semis, and, uh, and the other. Um, but yeah, in in what I wanted to say also is that I met adding to uh, one of Mario's posts about Medvedev, which again was re- uh, uh, received uh, uh, by. Uh, people in a you know, uh, who are quite angry about it. Just to group, Medvedev in his own tier, just below Djokovic and Alcaraz. When everything, I mean, everything speaks for himself, for the, uh, his records this season, speak for themselves. Uh, his, um, oh, I should say achievements, because the records against the best players on the tour is uh, the titles that he won, winning Rome, which nobody expected. Again, winning a Masters event on clay. We didn't even think he'd win a title on clay. Making the semis in Wimbledon when his form was shaky at best. uh, You know, after that first round exit at Roland Garros, I think from winning Rome, uh, all the way to the U.S. Open. I think he was 10 wins and 7 losses. And then he comes to that match. He plays one of the matches of his life to beat Alcaraz. Getting broken just once throughout that match. He was, he was the clutcher player. He was the player dictating play from the baseline. Alcaraz came to the net, what, 70 or more times. He won 54 or 55 of those points. Still ended up losing the match. That should just tell you how, even though Medvedev didn't win majority of the points when Alcaraz was at the net, he won the more important ones. Like uh, the last two points in that two-three game in the fourth set, and that was also after no, not very long after Medvedev himself saved three break points uh, early in that set, and also while serving for the match. And even in the first set, it looked like deja vu of all of their previous encounters, and Alcaraz had early chances to break, but Medvedev got to the tiebreaker. He was um, there was a period from four-five in the first to the end of the second seven, have lost just three points on serve. Um, so it goes to show that when this guy is, on, uh, when he's feeling it, he's, uh, he's on his A game, he can beat on pretty much anyone. Um, and obviously, um, uh, you know, the fact that he's had so much success on the surface uh, was also a factor for sure. But yeah, it was sort of a wake-up call. I would say even maybe to an extent for Alcaraz and team also because you part of me wants to think that he kind of did underestimate Medvedev considering the last two matches, which were blowouts, of course, in favor of Alcaraz. Uh, Five sets won and neither, and uh, none of the sets uh, had him losing more than three games also. And the Wimbledon final, the semifinal, the most recent one, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3 for Alcaraz. That being said, Yeah. yeah, I think Medvedev just proved it. And then, of course, that his happiness was did not last too long because, again, he was faced with uh, quite a bit of criticism for his final loss to Djokovic. But then again, you know, facing up against Novak in a grand slam final is, daunt, is a daunting task on itself, let alone after you beat someone like Carlos Alcaraz and then backing that up to beat Djokovic in a grand slam final. That's near impossible anyway. So I think people are not... Uh, people should probably cut him some slack, keeping that in mind. But yeah, for me, I think um, yeah, and there are people, of course, uh, still not convinced that uh, Alcaraz isn't the horrible matchup people thought. he was. He was for Medvedev. Um, and yeah, Rob Koenig also mentioned that Indian Wells was a really slow hard court. Wimbledon was grass. Medbino you know, Medvedev is not too fond. And I mean, I I think you and I have also spoken about. Uh, how Medvedev maybe has underperformed on grass because okay yeah he you know he hits the ball really flat he has a big serve he should perform well, but admittedly he doesn't like the surface that much himself. So if you if, you know uh, theoretically speaking he this this was where he should have performed his best and he did. And going by the scoreline, going by everything I just mentioned that happened in the match, it would be uh, really difficult to call it a fluke or a one-off because he Alcarus was just dominated. So um, yeah, that was a great result for Medvedev. And I hope he uses that to, you know, just push towards the end of the season and hopefully win a, another big title before, you know, the, the curtains are drawn on the 2023 season.
0: I have a question that might take us on a little bit of a tangent, but it shouldn't uh, take us too long. But before I get there, uh, Mario, obviously you probably shared your thoughts on um, ATP weekly on talking tennis um, which, um, it, although, wait, no, you weren't on that episode. So, this is your chance to maybe uh, just add anything or respond to anything Shohiri has said and put your thoughts out on, there on, on the results of Alcaraz Medvedev.
1: Well, uh, let's say that um, it's been, uh, I think, the, the match that. Uh, you know, that's been the best match, probably, uh, considering the men's tournament. Um, in my opinion, it's been even better than the final because of, let's call it a slight upset in, in terms that, you know, after the two bit down suffered by Medvedev, um, of course, Alcaraz was going there into um, playing the role as uh, of the favorite. Um I I really like that um, Medvedev showed that it's difficult, but it's still uh, possible for him to uh, to beat Alcaraz, by, by playing his his style. He was dictating from the baseline, but still, for example, you know the return position, um, and also you know also sometimes saying to Alcaraz, okay. Mm, you can go to the, you can come to the net. Um, it, it was great to watch because, um, not because I, uh, you know, I think that uh, some things needs to to go a certain way. But uh, it's been um, good to remind people that Medvedev can um, perform really well. In a match against Alcaraz, and probably the next one, it's not going to be in you know a lot of people uh, perception. It's not going to be ah, it's going to be a bit done, um, but it's going to be okay. It's exciting. Um, we're getting a match against two top player. Let's watch it, and it's uh, that's that's a great part of of what happened. And I know that a lot of people uh, probably wanted to watch that final, a repeat of the Cincinnati final, which um, in itself has lasted longer than three out of four Grand Slam finals this year. Um, But, uh, you know, Medvedev has done an incredible job because also from the baseline he played unbelievably good. And especially in the fourth set, when things, um, you know, after losing the third, uh, things could have gone the other way, also because he was facing some break points um, early in that fourth set. And But he, he's he been amazing. He's been amazing, especially that game he was returning. Uh, he was up 3-2, and it's been a super long game. Melankarov going to, to have... Uh, a lot of game points and chances to to seal uh, to seal the game and go three three all and Medvedev has been amazing amazing in in the key points and Alcaraz probably suffered a little bit the circumstances um, was was not feeling super uncomfortable uh, super comfortable sorry um, on the court and it was um, you know you could have felt. Uh, that especially in that second set which went uh, super easily in Medvedev's favor um but that's also it's also to be said that there are times in which your opponent is simply that good that you you have to you know accept it it um, is still a great grand slam season for for Alcaraz because after not going to the Australian Open 2 semi-finals losing to you know, number one and number three player. Um, So, and then winning Wibledon, beating Djokovic, the fourth, the seventh time champion and winner of the last four editions in the final. It's been overall an amazing season for him in Grand Slams. So, uh, it's, it's a defeat that has just to be accepted while it's been in, it's been great for, for Medvedev because, uh, all what happened in the rivalry against Alcaraz, and he now, um, you know, it almost felt like he it wasn't going to be a rivalry. And Medvedev reminded us that, yeah, he he is up there to 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 try to to beat him. Probably the head to head will look like more in Alcaraz's favor in the future. But Medvedev sh- has shown that he he can do uh, he can do damage, also in that matchup.
0: Yeah. Uh, and actually, your, so if you're talking about Medvedev there is making me kind of rethink the question I was going to ask because you mentioned about everyone wanting or a lot of people wanting the djokovic Alcaraz final um, as seen given the last two matches they played, the last two finals played were epics. Um, and I was going to ask, is Djokovic versus Alcaraz the most interesting thing about men's tennis right now? Or has Medvedev poked his head in and gone, no, nah, it's a th- it's a three-way rivalry, this one. Um, I'm in the mix here. And actually, the most interesting thing about men's tennis isn't Djokovic versus Alcaraz. It's Djokovic versus Medvedev versus Alcaraz versus... Da-da-da-da.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, let's say that um, my feeling, uh, as I said other time, is that Medvedev is uh, still a, cl- a clear number three. He's better than the rest of the field right now, in my opinion, especially on the Harcourt. But he's he shown that he's able to um, to use his chances even on other surfaces uh, at times, as he, he did, for example, in Rome. Um, I still think that even as a storyline, the djokovic Alcaraz thing is going to be um you know the best thing in my opinion because of you know the generational clash um the greatest the 36 year old greatest against uh you know an amazing 20 year old player who is um, uh i i'm not really able right now to make comparison but talking about this century only only Nadal has at um, greater numbers than him uh, in the the early stages of his career. Even if Alcaraz has done so on multiple surfaces already, and it's been it's been amazing to to witness his growth. And I think that probably as a storyline, this one is going to be the most exciting one. Um, let's uh, let's also say that. Uh, if Medvedev is going to to stay as the number three seed, um, it's also you know a bit difficult probably to imagine that he he has to beat uh, back to back Alcaraz and Djokovic to to win a Grand Slam as he he was required by him at uh, at a US Open. Even if we we also know that uh it's not for granted that this is going to be the situation because someone can lose earlier in the tournament. Um I think that uh right now um my feeling is that um Medvedev is a, a clear third. Um I may be I may be wrong but uh that's mm, the feeling I, I get uh, through through these past months. Um, then, of course, is uh, you know, a, a career that speaks for himself because when you reach the two biggest goals for every professional player, which are getting to number one and winning Grand Slam, um, you you should never be underestimated. And, of course, he's, he's uh, a great force in the game, which can, can entertain, entertain a lot of fans. Um, I still think that... Um, uh, the the jokovic alcaraz storyline is uh, more attractive uh, let's say like that because of all what uh, can be told and said uh, in among the media and all uh, you know also between the fans the, the difference in age and all these things um, also the epic matches they had uh, because all all of their matches basically except for the French Open one has been an epic uh four four career meetings and they they have already lost once having match point uh it's it's of course great to watch
0: okay yeah i think that's probably the best answer we're going to get on that subject um i guess my last question to you mario is uh, before we go, obviously, Shriheri's had his say with we need to make sure we talk about Medvedev and al rightly so. Are there any other stories from the US Open that you think we need to touch on before we consider the, uh, the US Open wrapped up?
1: Um, well, let's say that I, I really liked um, Caroline Wozniacki's comeback. Uh, I think it's been a good story uh on the women's side because uh first slam back since twenty twenty before the pandemic so basically a life ago um three three years and a half and uh, she's shown a, a very a very good level uh because she she's been in the second week she's pushed the the eventual champion Goff to to a deciding set even if then you know that set was pretty lopsided but still the match had some drama in in itself. And also, given the fact that Goff has then become the, the champion, it's been, uh, it gets value. And uh, I think that it's been a very good story. Um, we've seen some, some things, some matches in which her level was quite good. And then she's really taken a, a step. On the biggest stage at the US Open, also beating some very good players like uh, Kvitova, for example, even if probably not the best Kvitova of the year, but still doing it uh, in your first Grand Slam back, uh, it's it's very good, very very good stuff. Um, so I think she she was uh, one of the players deserving a mention in right now and but overall let's say that the world tour is very exciting uh i'm even for example the Guadalajara event uh which is a total shame the place uh, it got in calendar and that's no doubt but um the draw still looks still looks good in my opinion. There are some interesting um, potential clashes because there is an incredible depth, um, and it's really good because right now we have a good um, a good balance because we have really strong top players, and it's good for the game. But it's also good that the the, the field uh, is really deep, uh, and so I think that the WTA is is in a very good. Good position, Uh, and I still hope that you know they can. The organization in itself can step up just a little bit, uh, because the girls are ready to uh, to take their step further, uh, to to you know to to close the gap between them and, for example, the men's game. Um, But there are still some things that needs to. Um, to improve in my opinion also for example the WTA finals thing um, but uh, overall my a thought I wanted to to express is that I am I'm amazed uh, by by the situation the tour is right now
0: yeah I completely agree I did you know I would agree those of you listening who know like like my position on the WTA if you follow me on uh, on social media, if you watch the WTA show um, on Talking Tennis. Yeah, I completely agree that the strength and depth of the women's tour is incredible. We've got 20 major champions in the mix. That's uh, madness. Um, also, I did like your statement about Fosniaki there that, um, you know, she... Uh, uh, you know, when she retired the first time before the pandemic, it was a life ago. That is literally true because it was the life of her two children ago. And, uh, you yeah, know, she's had she's had a k- couple of kids in that time. And um, yeah, it's, I, I'm very excited. I think Guadalajara is going to be a fun tournament. Um, it's very hard to predict who's going to win it. I just, I think, actually, um, J.I. and I predicted the same thing, more or less, instead sort of how we thought the draw was going to go. But, um yeah I, I I'm looking forward to to watching it I think you know they' they've still got um hadmaya versus Collins in round one which is going to be a blockbuster yeah uh, i I'm looking forward to that um and I guess this is probably gonna be a bit of a monologue from me now um i I guess for the us open uh weirdly for me i I really appreciate um, talking about the women's tour I think we should definitely think about that um the other story we need to make sure gets mentioned is Ben Shelton. Coming yeah. up um being in um, a major semifinal um in his second u s open um second co- two quarter finals in the year sort of peaking at hard court majors at age twenty um and showing he's got the kind of star power that a lot of people in the tennis media crave he's got a big personality without necessarily um having any of the complications that come with it, shall we say if we think of other players. Um, without naming names. Um and uh I, the question is whether he's got this big game and big personality that's gonna continue to translate um going forward, you know, Dennis Shapovalov um being a similar kind of explosive player or public or um whoever being kind of cautionary tales uh maybe for for that. But certainly Shelton seems to have a good rapport with a lot of people on tour. Um, he's very likable and obviously um, seems to have started a trend with hanging up the phone, which I still don't understand what that means. And that probably makes me sound super <laughs> old because I, even though I'm nearly 30. So, um, yeah, that's. That, but I think it's noteworthy that Charlton has probably established himself as a big name in the tennis world for, for years to come. And everyone's going to be talking about this run um, going forward. So, yeah.
1: No, uh, let's say that uh, a good thing about him is that he's able to perform well on the big stages because his two best performances of the year have come at Grand Slams, Australian Open and even better at the US Open. Uh, We should not forget that it's his first year on the tour. And so basically the everyday life on the tour can be difficult. And in fact, he hasn't done really well beside of these two Grand Slam runs. Um, honestly, I think that there's been too too much talk about the telephone situation. So I, I don't know if it's, you know, useful for us to get back to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but... I think that speaking about tennis, which is the thing I love the most, uh, he he has a a good game for entertain to entertain the fans also and to perform well on the fast court. Um, probably he needs to figure out some things. For example, the back end, the choices with the back end can be made better. Uh, a little bit too predictable, in my opinion. Um, and against a player like Djokovic for example you you need to make the step if you want to be able to to keep it close um but overall um well uh, what to say great results in my opinion because uh two big runs at grand slams uh let's say bad results in terms of the wins uh, during the year between these two grand slams but uh first year on tour uh, first year traveling outside of the u s uh i don't think it's easier so i i still think that we uh, we should give him time
0: yeah i definitely think so too he he has uh he you know, he deserves that as given he's young and then even your comments around the backhand you know those are going to come with his development um like you know, as you become more experienced you make better choices. Um, happens to every tennis player so yeah, yeah it's I the same if that. you
1: play if you have the chance to play for example Novak Djokovic in a Grand Slam semi-final uh, well it's it's super useful uh, because you you have the best lesson you can have um, and I think that these experiences can can for sure help him
0: it's the same if you play at whatever level even if you just play at your club or just play with friends if you play better players you become better you learn so All right. Well, we've talked almost the entire length of a tennis match. Um, Hope all of you enjoyed uh, those listening, um, enjoyed uh, listening to us nerding out. This is what we're here for. We're here to be tennis nerds together on popcorn tennis. Maybe that needs to be our tagline. I don't know. Tennis nerds together. Sounds about right. Um, And uh, but want to thank you so much, Mario, for coming on. Thank you, Shrihari, for once again, staying up late into the night uh, in Dubai. Uh, to uh, record this Uh, so we'll sign off we've got some cool ideas coming up to try and keep us uh, occupied in this sort of end of season as we are now focusing on the run to the tour finals across both tours but I want to say thank you both for joining and we'll talk soon
2: yeah should also mention that we're nearing our first anniversary of this podcast already so (laughs) oh yeah wow um, definitely will yeah like nick mentioned we have uh, some really good ideas planned and yeah uh, so for everyone who's been listening and to nick uh, to mario rest of the guests uh, thank you very much for uh letting um you know letting us run this so successfully um couldn't have done it without you, really so thank you and see you all soon